Are you willing to examine the traditions and doctrines that you trust in for your eternal salvation? Welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I am Don Britton and I will be your host. I will be comparing the modern traditions and doctrines of American Christianity with what the scriptures actually say. You may be shocked to find out that much of what is commonly believed in American Christianity today is nothing more than myths handed down to us by men. So please join me now with an open mind. Hello and welcome back to another Great Deception Podcast. I'm Don Britton and I'm going to be your host. Last week I talked more about the reasons the American church is full of sin and practicing sinners. Again last week I continue to bring up the fact that one of the main reasons that the church in America is full of sin today is because of the false teachings by false pastors, false prophets, false evangelists, and false teachers. Today I'm going to go further on the topic of false shepherds who are misleading God's sheep. Another one of the great deceptions that comes today from the false teachers is that the devil is the cause of all your problems. They say the devil can make you sick, can ruin your finances, bring curses on you, destroy your marriage, that the devil can cause many other serious problems for you, even and even can kill you. There are, quote, deliverance ministries that teach you how to deal with the devil, how to get you delivered from the devil, how to rebuke the devil, and even how to bind up the devil. But what does the Bible really say about all of this? There's certainly a mentality going around today in the American church that the devil is the cause of every negative thing that can happen to you, and that the devil has the power independently apart from God to cause just about any kind of trouble for all of us. There are teachings that say that the devil is a source of curses and that come upon mankind and that we need to go through a special deliverance to get free from this. Uh, we have to speak words to renounce the devil and to get rid of him and to break curses that he's pronounced on us. But what does the scriptures actually say about all this again? The first question that must be answered is this. Is God sovereign or not? Does anything happen apart from his knowledge, his word, and his authority? Does Jesus have all authority in heaven and on earth, or does he just have some of the authority? If Jesus does have all authority, then Satan has no authority, except whatever the Lord gives him, the power to do in anyone's life. If you find that Satan has ground in your life and is causing trouble for you, sickness, various losses, uh, difficulties, and so forth, then who do you really need to go to to get relief? Do you really need to speak to the devil about this? Again, who has all authority? Who has allowed or given permission to the devil to be causing trouble to you? If the devil is causing trouble for you, then how did he get to do that unless Jesus told him to or allowed him to? Do you really think the devil is independent of God with his own authority and with his own power to freely do as he pleases against you? Do you really think that? I know he can tempt you. He's supposed to do that. He'll tell you lies and he'll try to influence you to sin. He'll try to get you to do what's wrong. He'll try to get you to doubt God. He works on the area of deception all the time. But can he really do damage to you unless he gets permission or instruction from God? Concerning authority, Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So if Jesus has all authority then Satan has no authority except whatever Jesus gives him to do for the purposes of God. So who's really in charge of everything? Who has all authority? All of it. 
I mean every ounce of it, 100% of it. I'm not saying that Satan doesn't oppress people or bring trouble on them or even possess them. Sure he does. But I am saying that if he does, then he has ground in their life to do it. He has rights given to him by God to be there. Satan can be also used to test us like in the situation with Job or like when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness or like when Peter told us not to be surprised by the fiery ordeals we might find ourselves in or the testing of our faith. But you can be sure of this, that if you're in sin, if you're in rebellion to God, disobedience to God, that Satan has already been given rights to attack you and oppress you or even possess you. Remember that Satan is roaming around on the earth like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Sin gives him the legal right to devour anyone. Doesn't matter if he's saved or not. So the question is, who has the authority here? Is it God or Satan? If it's a test that you're having to go through and Satan's allowed to bring one on you like he did with Job, then you need to endure it without sin. If it's sin that's allowed Satan in your life, then you're being devoured because of your sin, then you need to repent quickly and run to the Lord and get free from it. Turn to the Lord with all your heart and, and repent of your sin. You don't need to just talk to the devil about this. You need to talk to the one who has all the authority. James 4, 7 says this, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Well, there's, there's a way to get rid of the devil right there. Submit to God. See, a lot of people leave this part out. They want to resist the devil but they don't submit to God. Submitting to God is the first step. Do what God says. Obey God. Repent of sin. And then resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Job 1.6 Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. Put forth your hand now and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. So who's in charge here? Did Satan have free will to do as whatever he wanted to to Job? Or was the choice totally up to the Lord? After all, as we know, God gave Satan power over everything Job had. And then Satan caused the death of all of Job's children. He destroyed all of Job's wealth and he killed nearly all of Job's servants. And even after that, Satan came back to the Lord and got permission to, uh, to attack Job's body because the first test didn't turn Job against God. So Satan wants to go further. So he gets permission from God to attack Job's body and the Lord gave it to him. So, but he said, you can't kill him. Then Job was covered with balls and was suffering tremendously, as you know. So who was in charge here again? Was it the Lord or the devil? Did the devil just do anything he wanted without permission from God? See, this goes against, this goes against common thinking today in many circles. So the bottom line is this. 
So it was God, not Satan, who removed the protection from Job and, and gave Satan power to kill Job's children, destroy his wealth, and attack his body with sickness. It was God who gave this power to Satan. It wasn't Satan's power. He didn't do it on his own. He wasn't allowed just to do whatever he wanted to do. In 1 Samuel 18, verse 10, Now it came about on the next day that an evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul, and he raved in the midst of the house while David was playing the harp with his hand. As usual, a spear was in Saul's hand. And of course, he tried to kill David with that spear, if you go and read the rest of it. So I want you to notice, though, it was, so it was God, not Satan, who sent an evil spirit on Saul before he tried to kill David. It was God who sent the evil spirit. It was God who sent the devil. It was God who sent a demon, whatever. It was God who sent the evil spirit. It wasn't Satan that sent the evil spirit. In 1 Kings 22, verse 19, and this is in the context where Ahab was sitting around with his uh, his people and Jehoshaphat, and they were talking about going to battle against Ramoth Gilead. And Ahab had previously killed his neighbor over a vineyard. And the Lord had prophesied through Elijah the prophet that Ahab's blood would be licked up by the dogs just like it was in the same place by his neighbor that he killed. And so after all this, they're talking about going to war. And so Ahab has already now summoned all of his prophets and asked them about going to war. Would he prevail or not? And they all said, yes, you'll succeed. It'll all go well for you. And so finally, Jehoshaphat, he wasn't that convinced by these so-called prophets. So he asked, was there not just one man of God we could inquire of? So here we are. We got Micaiah, the prophet of God, brought in. And now he's been asked the same question. So here's what he said. First Kings twenty-two nineteen. Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab to go up and fall, that is die, at Ramoth Gilead? And one said this, while another said that. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, how? And he said, I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Then the Lord said, you are to entice him and also prevail go and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets, and the Lord has proclaimed disaster against you. Do you see here that all the spiritual beings that came before the Lord, both good and bad, both angels of God and demons of Satan, that they have to come before the Lord, who is, has all authority in heaven and on earth, they have to come before the Lord to get permission and instruction as to what they are to do and how they're to do it. Do you see that God is in charge of everything totally under his control? So it was God, not Satan, who sent out a lying and deceiving spirit to speak through the mouths of King Ahab's false prophets. So Ahab would be deceived and be killed in battle. It was God who did that, not Satan. In Romans 1 verse 18, it goes on to say this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, 
His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also men abandoned the natural function of women and burned in their desire towards one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Verse 28, and just as they did not see fit any longer to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, and gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Now, the description right here is a description of the American, the modern American Christian church today. It's full of all of this. And men have been given over to depravity. They've been given over to man-made religion. They've been given over to false doctrines. They've been given over to degrading passions. And they all the things that are in the world are in the church, and the world's just like the church, and church is just like the world when it comes to sin. So notice this. It was God, not Satan, who gave men over to degrading passions, who gave men over to lust of their heart, who gave men over to depraved mind. It was God who did these things, not Satan because they didn't see fit any longer to acknowledge God by walking in repentance, by living above sin, by living holy lives, by keeping the commandments of God, by doing the will of God. So it was God in his wrath who gave men over to all these evil practices. It wasn't the devil who gave them over to these evil practices. It was God who gave them over. And this is the condition of the American church today, filled with all unrighteousness and wickedness and greed and evil and envy and murder, which is is anger and unforgiveness, which is equal to murder, strife, malice, gossip, slanders, arrogance, boastful, disobedient to parents, adultery, pornography, you name it, it's in the church. And it's God who gave the church, his own church over to all this evil because she, his bride, has become a harlot. She has been in bed with the world. She's doing the same things the world does. She has the same gods of the world. She loves the same things of the world. She's, she loves the world and all the things of the world. So his church no longer has seen fit to acknowledge God by living holy lives and repenting of sin and living in righteousness. And men in the church, the leaders of the church, the pastors, the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers, they have developed doctrines that excuse sin and leave out the wrath of God. And they only teach about the quote unquote love of God and a false grace. This is the church today. And it's God that's given it over to this. We're going to go now to Matthew 18, 32. And it's in the context of the Lord talking about someone who had been forgiven of a vast amount of sin by his master. And then he turned against his own brother and wouldn't forgive him of some smaller thing. And so as a result of, of this being made known to the Lord, then here's what happened 
in Matthew 18, 32, then summoning him, that is the one who wouldn't forgive his brother after he had been forgiven, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you entreated me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave, even as I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, hand him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. In verse 35, Jesus said, So shall my heavenly Father also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. So, it was God, not Satan, who turned anyone over to the tortures, which are demons, who would not forgive from the heart. It was God who turned them over. It wasn't the devil. Here we see it again. God, the almighty God, the all-powerful God, the God with all authority and all power, turning over his own disciples to torturers if any of them does not forgive from the heart. Have you yet figured out who the torturers are sent by God? Well, what about the spirit of bitterness? What about the spirit of malice? What about the spirit of anger? What about the spirit of hate? What about the spirit of anger? The spirit of torment? What about these spirits? The spirit of self-pity? The victim mentality. You ever seen that one before? How somebody's just tormented with a, with a victim mentality? These are evil spirits sent by God to anyone who does not forgive others for wrong suffered after he has been forgiven by God for his own sins. Who do you think we should fear now? Should we fear God or the devil? And let's go to 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. And then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders. And with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence. God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false in order that they may all be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. It is God who sent upon men a deluding influence. The deluding influence are demons, deceiving spirits that are causing them to believe a lie. God caused them to believe a lie through, use of, through the use of deceiving spirits. When they, anyone, did not have the love of the truth so as to be saved. The love of the truth is to love what God says, not what men say. To love what the Bible says, not what doctrines of men say. Not what they teach you in church, per se. Not what the, the ministries and prophecies say. But it's to love what God says. That's the love of the truth. And that's the problem we have today, is the great deception is that men now follow men rather than God. So is it clear yet? that God himself has sent Satan giving him, that is Satan, all power to perform false signs and wonders and to do this with all the deception of wickedness. And the Lord did this to deceive those who did, who did not have a love of the truth so as to be saved. And since they didn't have a love of the truth, but they love the lies and the doctrines and teachings of men, they love religion. God himself has sent a deluding influence that is Satan and his demons, with all power to cause men to believe what is false. This is the condition of the church today. There's all kinds of false signs and wonders going on in the church today. There's all kinds of deception going on, all kinds of things that people think is coming from God, all kinds of crazy stuff. 
just because someone gets healed or they can speak in tongues or they can perform what seems to be a miracle and may, be, may even be supernatural. It doesn't mean it came from the Holy Spirit. Do we not remember that even in Egypt, when Moses went down there, that the magicians of Egypt could even take a staff and turn it into a snake? They could turn water into blood. They could do a lot of things that looked like it might be from God, but their power wasn't the same as God. But they were deceivers. And, and, and do you not realize that this same thing is going on today, that God has given all power to do signs and wonders into Satan's hand to deceive even the elect if they so don't seek God with all their heart? It's a very dangerous time we live in. So you got to look at the fruit, not the miracle. People running around seeking after signs and wonders. And Jesus said it's a perverted and, and wicked generation that seeks after signs. We're not to be seeking after signs. We're to be seeking after God. We'll be looking for righteousness and holiness. We'll be looking for the fruit of God. We'll be looking for what's right, not just for miracles. Miracles are just a small part of who God is. But in, in this day, it's been made the major part. It, there's so much talk about healings, and yet hardly anybody ta anyone talks about the heart. What's going on in the heart? They're, they're focused on the physical body, but not on the heart. Didn't we just read that God gave Satan all power to perform false signs and wonders to deceive anyone who didn't have the love of the truth? Isn't that a scary thing? Watch out. So all authority belongs to God and to his son, Jesus. They're one and the same. Jesus is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. He has total control over all the evil spirits and of Satan at all times. And they do nothing except what he tells them to do or allows them to do. The Lord uses the demonic forces for his purposes to either test his people or to execute his wrath on disobedience and to send deluding influences upon those who didn't have the love of the truth. We were never told to fear Satan or demons, but we were told to only fear the Lord our God. Today, there's a lot of devil fear that's being either preached or subtly suggested. I mean, you get this, the thing, watch out for the devil. The devil tried to do this. The devil tried to do that. You know, like the devil has all this independence. He can do whatever he wants. It's really teaching the fear of the devil. This is a great deception. To fear the devil is an indirect way of giving Satan credit or glory. You see, all power and glory belongs to the Lord, not Satan. We've got to be careful here that we're not even worshiping the devil by giving him all this credit. In Lamentations 3, verses 37 and 38, it says this, who is there who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the most high that both good and ill go forth? In other words, everything that comes forth, God's in control of it. So let's talk about the source of curses for a moment. In the Bible, all the curses for the most part were pronounced by God himself. And the exception to that was when men sometimes cursed other men or maybe curse God, but, but a few men did a few curses, but mostly it was the Lord that did the curses. It's the Lord that did all the curses, not Satan. Satan's not the one who pronounces curses. It's the Lord. The Lord cursed men who rebelled. The Lord cursed men who set up idols in their hearts. The Lord cursed those who disobeyed him. The Lord delivered the curse of the father's sins on the third and fourth generation. The Lord cursed anyone who dishonors their parents or who distorts justice or who moves his neighbor's boundary, or who commits immorality, or who gives false testimony. And it goes on and on and on, the list of people and the list of situations in which God will curse men. 
It is the Lord who said you would be cursed in the city and that you would be cursed in the country when you refuse to obey God and love him with all your heart. He said you would be cursed when you come in and you'd be cursed when you go out. It is the Lord who sends curses upon curses on all those who disobey him. You need to go back and read Deuteronomy 27 and 28. Read Leviticus and read the prophets. Read Jeremiah. Read Ezekiel. Read read how God handles and how he handles the process of dispensing curses on all those who rebel against him, who worship idols, who turn against him, who don't follow him with a whole heart. It is the Lord who has all authority to either give life or to bring on a curse. I cannot find any curses in the Bible, and I've looked as hard as I can. I cannot find any curses in the Bible coming from Satan and certainly not coming upon an obedient child of God from Satan. That's ridiculous. Proverbs 26.2 says, Like a sparrow in its flitting, like a swallow in its flying, so a curse without a cause does not alight. So if anyone's under a curse, there's a reason for it. There's a cause for it. So if anyone finds themselves under the burden of a curse, it did not come unless there was a reason. If one is under the generational curses, then he should repent of the sins of his fathers and forefathers as God commanded, which are probably the same sins, which are the same sins most likely that he's committing himself. If your father was an alcoholic and you find yourself an alcoholic, repent of being an alcoholic. If your father was immoral and you find yourself immoral, then repent of your father being immoral. If your father was lazy and you're lazy, then repent of being lazy. If you repent of your sins that which you are now practicing, which was also the sins of your fathers and forefathers, which you fell under the curse, and when you give yourself totally to God and turn from those sins, then the curse will be broken. You don't have to go to a deliverance ministry. The curse will be broken when you stop doing what your fathers and forefathers did and you repent of them. If somebody's in willful sin, then he is cursed by God, not by Satan. If someone is trusting in another God, man-made religion, false teachings, uh, false prophets, false pastors, whatever, false hope, uh, if he's trusting in anything other than the Lord God Almighty through obedience and seeking of him, then he's cursed by God, not by Satan. If someone is a pretender, a hypocrite, playing church, which we have a whole generation of church-playing hypocrites today in America, then he is cursed by God, not by Satan. If someone does not have the love of the truth so as to be saved, then he is cursed by God and given over to a deluding influence by God and caused to believe a lie by God and not by Satan. If God sent the curse, how can it be broken unless we repent of the reason it came upon us to start with and get right with God? How can we see the curse broken unless we get right with God? 2 Corinthians 12, 7. And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. Now, this is after Paul, who had had some kind of an experience where he went into the third heavens and he saw things that he couldn't even, that were inexpressible, he said. He said, and because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me to keep me from exalting myself. So who do you think gave this messenger from Satan to Paul? You think the devil did? Of course not. It was God. And verse 8, Paul goes on to say, concerning this, that is, this messenger from Satan, the thorn in the flesh that I was given, concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Notice that Paul did not rebuke the devil. 
Notice that he did not go to deliverance ministry. Notice that he did not bind up the devil, but he entreated the Lord who has all authority. He asked God who has all power. He asked God who is in control of the devil that it might depart from him. But in verse nine, the Lord said to him, said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, Paul said, then I am strong. By the way, you cannot bind the devil up by using words. This is another great deception. You can get free from the devil through repentance. You can avoid the devil by walking with God. But the teachings today that you can mind up the devil is another great deception that we have. In Matthew 18, there was a situation where someone had sinned against his brother. There was instruction by Jesus given how to deal with that. Go to your brother in private, rebuke him. If he, re if he receives you, you won your brother. If he doesn't listen to you, take two or three witnesses. Doesn't listen to three witnesses, tell it to the church. If he doesn't listen to the church, then treat him like an unbeliever. And so in that context, when you're dealing with your brother who's done wrong, what he's saying here now in Matthew 18, verse 18, he says, and I'm reading from the Amplified here, he says, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, whatever you bind that is forbid or declare to be improper and unlawful on the earth shall have already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose, permit, declare unlawful on earth shall have already been loosed in heaven. So what he's saying here is when you bring correction to a brother, the binding simply means that whatever you say is wrong on earth, let it already have been determined in heaven. And the loosening simply means that whatever you say is permissible on earth, let it have already been determined to be permissible in heaven. There is nothing here that remotely comes close to binding the devil. There is no case in the Bible, in the scriptures, anywhere where anybody bound the devil by saying some words. There's no such thing except when Jesus cast them out, of course, and he told them that they were to go and so forth. But I'm talking about when the teaching that we have today about binding the devil. I once had a charismatic friend who said he was going to bind up the devil for one night concerning a certain event that he was going to participate in. So I asked him this question. I said, well, how do you do that? How do you bind up the devil? And he said, oh, uh, he says, I do it by speaking commandments to the devil in the name of Jesus. And I bind him up. In other words, it's like putting handcuffs on the devil. And the devil can't do anything for that period of time in this situation. I said, well, then what are the limits uh, on binding up the devil? He said, there weren't any limits. I said, really? I said, well, then if you have the authority and the power to bind up the devil, then why don't you just bind up the devil in the, for the whole city for a whole week and stop every demonic activity that would happen for a whole week? Wouldn't that be great? And he looked at me very speechless. He didn't have an answer for that. You see, even he knew how ridiculous this was when he thought about it. This is a crazy and ridiculous thing. You cannot bind up or stop the activity of the devil since he is, he's actually operating under the authority of God. And he's sent by God to do the purposes of God. If you could bind up the devil for one hour, then you could bind up the devil for one day or one week. This is all total nonsense and just another great deception. And men use this in ministry as some kind of a false way to give people some idea that they need their ministry and they need to be taught these things. These are lies. In James 4, again, I'll remind you what it says. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
So here's your deliverance from the devil and from a curse. Submit to God. Repent of sin and obey God and love God with all your heart. It's very simple. In John 8, 31, Jesus goes on to say, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, he said, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So if you need to be made free, don't go to deliverance ministry. Run to Jesus, the word of God, and seek him. Study the word. Put his word in your heart. Obey his word. Keep his word. Bear fruit from his word. And then repent of anything. Turn from anything that's sinful or that's of the world or anything that's contrary to God and continue in faithful obedience to his word and his truth. Then you'll be free. You'll be free indeed then. Next week, I will continue explaining how the false pastors, the false prophets, and the false teachers are deceiving and destroying God's people. I hope you listen in next week to the great deception of American Christianity without Christ. Thank you for listening to the Great Deception Podcast. You may visit my website at www.christianmyths.org for more information, for my blog and for my email address. You can also get my book, The Great Deception of American Christianity Without Christ, on Amazon or on my website. Also on my website, you may download two free chapters of my book. I hope you join me next week as we continue to examine The Great Deception.